Oh, you guys are awesome. I thank God for you. Serious. I love you. Those that are with us online, I love you guys. I thank God for you. You're awesome because God made you awesome. You are made in his image. And when we gather in his image online or in person, good things happen. God things happen. He's a mighty God. He's a merciful God. If you're with us uh, for the first time, uh, man, we're delighted to have you with us. And you've caught us in what I've found to be a tremendously meaningful sermon series called Unlimited, The Life You Were Meant to Live. Jesus said the very reason he came to this planet was to give us this super abundant life, unlimited that produces unlimited love, unlimited peace, unlimited joy, unlimited hope. I mean, what if, what if right now all your relationships were marked by unlimited love? What if, what if right now the most serious, painful struggle you're going through, what if you were going through it in unlimited peace and unlimited joy? What if your future is marked with unlimited hope? Now, here's the truth. If you are a believer in Jesus, you don't have to live with dreams of what if. You're doing the what is right now. And so week after week, we're looking at the exciting, essential, non-negotiable elements of an unlimited life. Now, here um, is our number one, making Jesus our everything, not just a, a, a Lord uh, that we read about in the Bible, not just a, a Savior who died on the cross to save us from our sins, but I mean in every thought, in every behavior, our goal is to, to shape all of our decisions, even our emotions, around the person of Jesus. Let him be the very center of our lives, and everything revolves around him. That's how we do life here at Central Christian. Here's what I want you to know. Everything in your life rises or falls on the level of your commitment to Jesus. You got a high level of commitment to Jesus, then you're going to have a high level of joy, hope, love, peace, all the stuff money that, that money cannot buy. If you got a low level of commitment to Jesus, then you're going to experience low levels of things like love and joy and peace and hope. So, we are ready for our next exciting essential element of the unlimited life. And here it is. Excellence honors our Lord and inspires people. This value drives everything that we do here, every decision we make. We believe that our Jesus is worthy of excellence. Now, notice I did not say perfection. The truth is, have you ever had someone in your life who just demands perfection of you? Maybe a coach, maybe a teacher, maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a spouse. The truth is, perfection is the enemy of excellence. Nobody is perfect. Let me illustrate this way. Perfection causes pain. That's the truth. But excellence creates pleasure. That's the way excellence works. Check this out. Perfection requires hard work. You just labor, 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 labor. Feel like you never can get quite there while excellence is just losing yourself in happy worship. Perfection 
creates pressure. It is pressurized, stressful. Excellence causes peace. And then finally, perfection is demanding. It's like you've got this demanding taskmaster just hanging over your life, ready to knock you on the head whenever you get out of line and you can never quite measure up. You're never good enough. But excellence is doing the best you can. You may not be the perfect parent, but if you're doing the best you can, you're an excellent parent. You may not be a perfect spouse, but if you're doing the best you can, you are an excellent spouse. You may not be the perfect student, but if you're doing the best you can, you're an excellent student. Now, what we're going to find out in our Jesus story today is that religion, religion is all about performing with perfection while loving Jesus is all about excellence. He doesn't demand perfection. He looks for those who are loving him the best they can and willing to grow in that love. So let me take you to this Jesus story. It's a story full of surprises. And here's the very first surprise right up front. There's this really, really rich guy. He's a really, really religious guy. He is a perfectionist. And he throws a party, big fancy party, great food. Invites people in his home. And here's the big surprise. He invites Jesus to come to the party. He doesn't like Jesus. He hates Jesus. Big surprise, he invites Jesus. Here's a bigger surprise. Jesus says yes. You see, our Jesus will go anywhere into any environment to rescue anyone from their sin, even this really rich re religious guy. So here's the text. One of the Pharisees, look at that, Pharisees twice. Luke doesn't want us to miss the fact that this guy's a Pharisee. Four times in the first four verses, he calls attention to the fact that this guy is a Pharisee. Uh, let me read the text, and then I'll tell you what a Pharisee is. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. Now, Pharisee, it was actually, though they were religious, it was a political party. This is one of the reasons I try to keep politics out of my life and out of this church. I haven't watched the news in a month, and I'm bigger and better and stronger than I've ever been in my life. I think I can eat more turkey too, and I think I've lost a few pounds. No, here's, look, you find one good politician in the Bible and let me know about it, because I can't find any. There are Pharisees, they're the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. That's why they're sad, you see. There are the Herodians. They were bad guys. Sadducees are bad guys. Pharisees, they all conspired to kill Jesus. There's King Herod, bad guy. Uh, there's Pontius Pilate, the governor, bad guy. There is Caiaphas, high priest, bad guy. There is his father-in-law, Annas, bad guy. There's Felix and Festus, though Festus on Gunsmoke is really cool. But the politician, Festus, is no good at all. There's not one illustration of a politician in the Bible that's worth anything. And the Pharisees were at the top of the list. And here's the deal. They were religious perfectionists. And they judged, they condemned, they bullied anybody, and everybody was less than them. But 
What do we find in the story? Surprise number two, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined, check that out, he lays down at the table, which we might think is odd, but here's two things you gotta know about houses in the day of Jesus, the way people lived, to understand what goes on in this story. Now, when we, the table we have in our house cost $125. We brought it at a consignment shop, $5 for each of the chairs. And we love it. We've had it for years and years. But there are chairs and there's legs to the table. Not in the day of Jesus. The tables were flat to the floor and they were surrounded. They were built in a U shape so servants could go in the center and serve people. But the table flat on the floor was surrounded by cushions. And the guests, like Jesus, would recline on the cushions, their head toward the table, their feet, for obvious reasons, away from the table. Now, that's one deal. Here's a second. Uh, The way we live in the U.S. is that when we think of our houses, we often think of sidewalks out front and a front yard. Not in the day of Jesus. If you're on the street, that's where your house begins, no sidewalk, no yard, but they had courtyards. There is this gate that you would use to enter the courtyard. Anybody, any time of day, other than maybe night when it's locked, but anybody is allowed into the courtyard. Nobody is allowed at the table other than the invited guest. Now the rich people, they wanted anybody and everybody to come into the courtyard so they could look in on the dinner, see what kind of rich food they enjoyed, see what kind of rich surroundings they ate in, and see what kind of special people they got to eat with. So you have that in mind? Table floor level, cushions, reclining, the guests reclining around the table, and then there's all these gawkers who are looking in these large open windows to watch the meal. And this time, guess who's at the meal? Jesus has shown up. Oh my gosh, word hits the street that Jesus is a guest at this meal. So people begin to swarm to the house of this politician, this religious elitist, this Pharisee, they go to see Jesus. Now it's amazing to me how often we find Jesus sitting down at a meal or reclining at a meal in the word of God. I mean, like just in Luke alone, eight different times, Jesus shows up at a meal or he's just leaving a meal. In fact, you know, Jesus called himself the son of man. And one of the things that he said about himself was this, the son of man came eating and drinking. Isn't that often? He had my motto for life. So many restaurants, So a little time for a drive-through takeout. Son of man came eating and drinking. Why? Why was it that as we open up Luke's gospel and read about Jesus, we we find him at party after party, meal after meal, dining with a friend, dining with a group. Why do we see Jesus eating and drinking all these times? Because Jesus used a dinner table as a platform to share the love of God. In fact, He he wasn't even bashful about it. Later in Luke, this is Luke 7 we're in today, but later in Luke, Luke 19, Jesus just out and out admits it. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And he said that while he's at the dinner table. So here's the picture. We got Jesus in there and the people who were gawking in 
They see Jesus at his best, doing what he loves most. He's laughing, he's joking, he's talking, he's listening, he's making people feel absolutely awesome about themselves. And, and at the seat of the host, we find out later in the story, the guy, the Pharisee's name is Simon. And he is scowling at Jesus. He didn't invite Jesus to come into his home under his roof, sit at his table to have a good time. He invited Jesus to disrespect him, to shame him, to, to humiliate him, to embarrass him before others. And, and Simon is just scowling. Jesus is joking and laughing. In fact, the people, the, some of them have stopped eating food halfway through their mouths. And like spectators at a tennis match, they're looking back and forth at scowling, sour Simon and at joking, laughing, having a good time, Jesus. And there is a tremendous level of tension that builds in the room. And all of a sudden, there's this incredible distraction, a party crasher. It's not so much who this woman is as what she does. Violating all polite uh, protocol, she charges into the room. Here's how the Bible tells it. A woman of the streets, a prostitute had heard Jesus was there and she brought an exquisite flask. Not the kind of flask you guys are thinking about. This flask was filled with expensive perfume. She'd heard that Jesus was in the house. When she hears that Jesus is at Simon's house, Though she, though she is far from perfection and Simon is a perfectionist, she goes home. She gets her exquisite flask, a very expensive perfume, and she heads back in because she's going to crash this party. Here's what she does. It gets kind of weird. Going in, she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she wiped them off with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. All the oxygen is sucked out of the room. People are laying there, reclining there at the table with their mouths open, absolutely shocked by this woman's off the wall, over the top behavior. I mean, she's not just gently weeping. She has lost it. She is crying out of control. And as she's come with an intent and with a purpose, but she is so overcome with heartfelt gratitude, with passionate devotion, with excellent love, that as she kneels at the feet of Jesus, she knows what she has in mind, but she can't help herself. She just starts weeping and then is shocked at her own behavior when she sees her, her tears falling on the feet of Jesus. And without thinking, just impulsively, she begins to wipe the tears away with her hair. And then she breaks out. And then she breaks out the perfume. Now, what you got to know about this story is that this is not the first time Jesus and this woman have met. They have a history. You see, this is Luke 7. Back in Luke 5, Jesus again is at a dinner party. And this time, the party crashers are the political perfectionist Pharisees. They kick down the door. They go stomping in. They look around this room full of people who are all described as 
sinners like me, sinners like you, sinners like her. And they stick their fingers in Jesus' face and challenge him with this, these words, why do you eat and drink with such scum? They didn't feel like scum in the presence of Jesus. They felt respected. They felt highly valued. They felt unconditionally accepted. They felt deeply loved. And most importantly, they found that they were fully forgiven. The slate was wiped clean. That was this woman. She didn't feel filthy anymore. She didn't feel hopeless anymore. She felt cleansed of all the filth. She felt cleansed of all her guilt and shame. She felt that every bad thing she had done, and she had done a lot of bad things, just like you, just like me, they had all been wiped away. She felt forgiven. She felt forgiven like no one could forgive her. She felt accepted like no one could accept her. And it did something on the inside of her. And she just thinks to herself, if I ever get a chance to thank him, if I ever get a chance to show him how my life has changed, if I ever get a chance to show him how much I love him. So she finds out that Jesus is in the house. She goes to her house. She gets a perfume. She looks in. Yeah, there he is. She doesn't stop to ask anybody's permission she moves right to the feet of Jesus. Now, just to get an idea of what this meant, let me show you a picture. Last time I was in Israel, um, we were waiting to go in to a site, and I saw this woman, and I f felt her image was so compelling that I took her picture. And what I wanted you to notice is that her hair is covered. This is modern-day Jerusalem, in the old city, she is Muslim. Muslim women keep their hair covered. It's a covered culture. Jesus lived in his day in a covered culture. Women always kept their hair covered. Some men never saw their wives' hair until their wedding night. And so when this woman sees her tears falling on the feet of Jesus and thinks, oh, what have I done? She had to uncover her hair to wipe away the tears. This is such an intimate moment, not a sexual moment, but, but, but a moment filled with excellent devotion, excellent love, excellent worship. And when the Pharisee, Simon, when he sees this, he's like, well, now we know. We know who she is. Now we know who you are, Jesus. Here's what happens in the text. When the Pharisee saw this, he thought to himself, now when you think around Jesus, it's just like talking out loud. But he thinks to himself, if this man, little M, were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's... A sinner. You know what I love about this story? I mean, it's as weird. It's a, as weird a party deal back then as it would be today. If someone walked into one of your parties and, and began to kneel at one of the guests' feet and cried over their feet and wiped their feet with her hair and began to kiss their feet, uh, you'd get creeped out. 
What I love about this story, because I am this woman and you are this woman. What I love about this story, Jesus doesn't flinch. Everybody in the room gasped when she enters, not Jesus. He welcomes her and he does not recoil from her touch. Jesus does not recoil from the sinner's touch. Jesus receives the excellence of the sinner's love. She weeps over him and he accepts her tears. She wipes his, his feet with her hair and he accepts that gesture. She kisses his feet and he doesn't pull away. This is devotion. This is love. This is excellence. This is worship. Now, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. He he knows the perfectionism of his thoughts. And he knows what the woman's thinking. And he knows the excellence of her love and her worship and her gratitude. So Jesus does what he always does and does so well. He tells the story. He says, Simon, I, I, I've got a story for you. There was a, there was a banker. Now, I say capital B banker because banker, the banker stands for God in the story. There's this capital B banker, and he is approached by two people who need loans, need funds, and he loans one $6,000. Now, that's a chunk of change, but he loans the other guy $60,000. Oh, my gosh. Neither man can pay it off. Neither man can, can, can meet the demands of the loan. Now, what happens today if you can't pay off a loan? I mean, the car gets repossessed. The house goes into foreclosure. Collection agencies are called in. Maybe a bankruptcy court. But not this banker. This is no ordinary banker. This is an excellent banker. Look what the word of God says. He kindly forgave them both their debts. Kindly forgave them both. Now, someone had to absorb the loss. Someone had to absorb the debts. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Guess who absorbed my debts? Guess who absorbed your debts? Jesus on the cross when he was made to be our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. When Jesus on the cross, he took all your ugly imperfections. He took everything wrong with me and you have all the beauty of his perfection imputed to you by his work on the cross and I, everything is made right in me by his work on the cross. I could go on and on and on and on. Yeah, everything bad about you is on Jesus and all God's anger, all God's judgment, all God's condemnation, all the consequences of our sin. Jesus just absorbed the loss into himself. And so Jesus then asks the question after he gives uh, that punchline that the baker kindly, kindly absorbed, kindly forgave both parties. Jesus, now you would think, you would think Jesus would ask Simon, uh, which do you think of those debtors was the most grateful and relieved? The $6,000 debtor or the $60,000 debtor? That's not what Jesus asked. Here's the question Jesus asked. He said, Simon, who do you suppose loved him most, loved him most excellent after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven the larger debt. 
And Simon just kind of snorts out. So, Jesus, what's the point? Jesus says, look at this woman. She's the point. She had the greater debt. Look at the word of God. Jesus turned to the woman. Notice this. She's at his feet. Simon's at the head of the table. Jesus is talking to Simon, but he's looking. He can't take his eyes off someone who offers him excellent worship, excellent gratitude, excellent love. Jesus turned to the woman looking at her, but talking to Simon said, don't you see this woman kneeling here? Is she invisible to you? This is what it's all about. Forget the religion, forget the politics, forget the perfectionism, the judgment, the condemnation. Get the love, get the worship, get the gratitude. She is doing for me what you did not bother to do. Every way Simon found to disrespect Jesus, to to criticize Jesus, to humiliate Jesus, to embarrass Jesus, he did that day. While other guests came in and had their feet washed, not Jesus. While other guests came in and got the customary kiss on the cheek, not Jesus. While other guests had their hair perfumed with fragrant oil, not Jesus. Just go, go to your seat. In fact, Jesus calls him on it. Jesus says, when, when I entered your home as your guest, you, you didn't bother to offer water to wash off my feet. She came into your home, into your home, under your roof, and washed my feet with her many, many tears, and then dried my feet with her hair. You see, perfectionism, Modern day Pharisees, and there are way too many of them in the church today. Modern day Pharisees, perfectionism maximizes the sin of others and minimizes their own sins. They always want to tell me about how they want me to preach about this sin and that sin, but they never ask me to preach about theirs. Pharisees, perfectionism maximizes the sin of others while minimizing one's own sin. Check this out. Excellence on the other hand, is heartfelt gratitude for forgiveness of all one's sins. Jesus said, you didn't welcome me. Jesus says, you didn't welcome me into your home with the customary kiss, and she's not stopped kissing my feet. You see, excellence is wholehearted worship. The Greek word proskuneo for worship in the New Testament means to kiss. Worship is that kind of affection toward our God, just impulsively. We don't have to think about it. We just offer all the best of our emotion and affection to him. He said, he said to Simon, you didn't anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfumes. You see, excellence is sacrificial giving. That's how you know you love Jesus with excellence is when you sacrificially make gifts to his kingdom through his church, our church, every, out of every pay period without fail. That's excellence. Christian loving, Christian living. Excellence. Still looking at the woman, still talking to Simon, he says, her sins, and they are many. Uh, that could be David at his feet. His sins. David's sins, 
and they are many, have been forgiven. And this is why she has shown me such extravagant, excellent love. I would, I, I would like to invite us all to the feet of Jesus in your home, as you watch on TV or your device in this room. I would like to invite us to the feet of Jesus right now. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads. So we're at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to ask us to pray with excellent gratitude and love and worship to the one who forgave us all our sins. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins, to absorb our debt, our sin debt in himself. He was made our sin that we might be made. As a free gift, we get the righteousness of God. Lord Jesus, we know that you have forgiven every sin by your shed blood. And so with the woman, we join her right now, Lord, at your feet. We see the scars where the nails pierced your feet and spiked you to the cross to make possible our forgiveness. And our hearts weep with her heart. We're grateful, Lord, that when we reach out and touch your feet, you do not recoil from us, but you accept. You receive the excellence of our worship, our love, our gratitude. Lord Jesus, thank you for cleansing us of all guilt and shame and making us new. We are new because of you. In your name, we thank you and praise you. Amen. I love you guys. I thank God for you. I can't wait to be with you again next weekend. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.